0: Join me as I highlight small businesses in the craft industry with interviews on site at distilleries, breweries, and more. This podcast is all about getting to know the people behind the craft, celebrating their hard work, and of course, having a few samples along the way. Welcome to Crafted Conversations. In this episode, I traveled to Beltville, Maryland, to visit Schmidt Spirits and talk to the master distiller Brian Rohn. The small distillery is owned and operated by Arthur Schmidt, engineer from College Park, Maryland area, whose desire to make better spirits than what's on the market emboldened his blending of engineering and his love of fine liquor. Schmidt Spirits is a small operation and desire to truly experiment and test the waters on new things is the definition of why I seek out small businesses to talk to. Arthur and Brian were incredibly welcoming, and I can't thank Brian enough for sitting down with me and sharing his story. If you enjoyed this episode and others we've done, I'd appreciate it if you followed us on social media, and be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform and leave a rating and review. Seriously, please pause the podcast right now and leave a rating on the platform you're listening on. It takes less than a minute. It really helps us organically get into people's feeds and share these small businesses stories with those who haven't heard the podcast yet. So I'd really appreciate it. Soon we'll be doing the show in full video format, so stay tuned. All right, let's get to the episode. Cheers. Brian we're here at Schmidt Spirits in Maryland Um, first of all thank you for having me this is awesome we're on site and uh, I look forward to trying your stuff I've I know nothing about you so tell me about yourself and how you got into this whole crazy business
1: incredible Um, (laughs) just the easiest prompt to start off from so I'm Brian Rowan Uh, I'm the master distiller here Um, the only other like full-time employee um, is Arthur Schmidt who is my friend uh, for about 15 years now (laughs) And um, he is the president and CEO. But really, we all do everything. Um, This, I like to say, you know how friends get together and they're like, we should start a band, we should start a restaurant. So Arthur and I at some point long ago, probably next to a fire over a drink, said we should start a distillery. (laughs) And we like yes-anded ourselves into continuing that and it it exists now, which is the craziest thing on earth to me. Yeah. Um, And it really is kind of that simple. Arthur's very business-minded, very numbers and figures, I've got a creative streak to me. Um, those two sides of the brain, the left and the right, come together and, and have made this happen, which is absolutely insane. I still look around and I'm like, this is mine. Like <laughs> I, I helped to found this. This is a thing that I created. when did you guys start? I mean, if you go back to that first conversation, it was probably like 10 years ago. Okay. Um, if you go back to when we rented the space that we're currently sitting in. Probably five and a half years ago. If you go back to our first ever distillation, you know, after all the permits, after the use and occupancy permit, it was like almost legitimately exactly four years ago. Wow. Very cool.
0: Were you guys whiskey connoisseurs or spirit connoisseurs prior or was it just kind of a thing that you wanted to try?
1: No, I mean, so the way that we met is interesting. He owned a house off campus. We both went to the University of Maryland. And I would go to parties there and then when I graduated I needed a place to live and I moved in there and we had a party like legitimately every weekend but we we started to realize that we would start the party in a small cluster of people who cared about spirits doing sippings and trying stuff and everyone would bring a new bottle. And then that's the point at which you'd be like, all right, bring on the beast, bring on the Kentucky gentleman, like, let's just have fun. But it started to spiral out from there. When we'd go to bars, we would try to look for bars that had whiskey. So we did start to do an autodidact kind of deep dive. Why do I like this? You know, what is the difference between a rye and a bourbon? Like, what is the difference between a scotch and an Irish other than the obvious? Like, what is this? And as we started to learn more, it became that thing where you start to learn so much that you're like, why am I doing this if not to try to do something with it? yeah that's true and I, so it, that's yeah that's what happened at some point he said to me like hey i'm i'm gonna do it i'm gonna make a distillery do you want to do it and i was like yeah absolutely that sounds great <laughs> sounds like sounds like my friend group
0: that's what <laughs> we do we bring whiskeys together and we try what's, what's that uh, and then we talk you guys want to start a distillery yeah absolutely in 10 right. years yeah <laughs> <laughs> when we have money no, that's very cool. You guys primarily, like, were you focused on whiskey when you first started? What was what was your baby that's like, we want to make this, and then you branched out?
1: It was definitely whiskey. That's, like, what drew us together. Okay. Um, when we decided to start, we decided to start with a rye. Um, we felt like the bourbon space, so this is a pretentious thing to say, the bourbon space was very oversaturated, but also in starting to learn about distilling, and the history of distilling in Maryland, we realized that Maryland used to be a big rye state. Okay. Um, just a couple months ago, Maryland made rye its state spirit. Yeah. So we were like, let's start with a rye. Also, it was a little more of a challenge. Um, a lot of people have an issue with rye. Mm-hmm. It's very spicy, it's very punchy, yep. it's aggressive. Can we make a rye that would appeal to someone who would usually shrink from a rye, but maintain the rye character? Yeah. Um, Arthur's big idea that he kind of floated at me, and this was like a whole new concept, like nine to eight years ago was like what if we put it in a second barrel you know it was being done but it wasn't on a big scale like if you told someone that something was a finished whiskey they wouldn't have any idea what that meant like it's in a bottle of course it's finished mm-hmm. um and so we started to really I like wrestle with those ideas like ooh, what would be a good counterbalance to a rye and then I was like well a Caribbean rum would be really nice and it's like what if we did like a really young rye and at some point I said a Chardonnay barrel and he said that's the craziest thing I've ever heard and I said do you have a better idea and he said no and so we did that and it turned out pretty well. That's cool. Yeah. So it really was like, we want to start with the whiskeys, we want to start with the rye's. We made a gin a little bit of in a mercenary spirit because you need something that doesn't need to age. Yeah. Um, it was actually one of the first things that he really floated to me was, I want to make a gin that's very smooth drinking, that's very light. And I was like, that's not a gin at that point. A gin is a pine cone that's been blended up and like imbued with evil. <laughs> right. Like, I don't like gin. And so it became another kind of cause for us. It's like, what if we make a gin that would appeal to non-gin drinkers, appeal to people who usually like whiskey? Right. What would we have to do to do that? And so, yeah, there there was a point where uh, at the beginning, we were just like setting challenges for ourselves because there were things that we felt like we'd never had that we wanted to try. And if the only person who was going to make it was us, we had to do it. Well, as a, as a fellow non-gin drinker,
0: I have traveled around and, 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 and found primarily whiskey distilleries who have either started with a gin and a vodka to sell the white spirit because you don't have to age it. It's mm-hmm. an easy thing to market. Or branched out into gin and vodka and have played with. And I've had a lot of great barrel-aged gins. I've had, I had a lot of gins that are just, they're white gins, but they don't taste like a pine cone. Right. And I'm, my brain has opened up so much more to the possibilities of cocktails and things that I've usually turned my nose up to. So I'm really curious about your gin. And I don't know if you want to start with that, but um good. Good job. Keep <laughs> make things that aren't
1: pine cones. <laughs> one of the first so we we started right before COVID hit. So one of the first big events we went to uh, was like a year and a half later. And it was outdoors and it was like so many people. And by the time people got to me, they were already a little a little served. Yeah. Um, but I there was this guy who came up and he's like, I, you know, what is that a gin? And I was like, Yeah, he's like, uh, I was like, so we made like a light floral botanical. It's not going to be overly junipery. It's not going to be overly piney. And he reaches across and he grabs me by my shoulders and he looks in my eyes and he's like, "God bless you." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, buddy. All right. <laughs> I don't think I can give this to you now, though." Um, and when when we opened up those like the three weeks where people were able to come in, I actually was concerned that gin drinkers would come in and try it and be like, "This is a lightly flavored vodka, you hack. Like, what's wrong with you?" Right. Um, but no one did that. Uh, people came in who liked gin and knew that we had made gin, and were excited to try a local gin, and they drank it, and they're like, "This is incredible! I love it." Good. So it was yeah, that was a very good first feedback to get. It was suddenly like, "Oh God, are we doing this? Like, is this <laughs> happening?" It was incredible.
0: Did I misunderstand that you that you, you said you start with the gin as a?
1: So we we distilled the the whiskey first, but then of course you got to put it in a barrel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have the silver so that we're able to come out first because the silvers we we only aged it like two days it's mm. an incredible waste of a barrel because um, you can only use a barrel once for a rye distillation or a bourbon distillation right but we needed to do it first because we wanted to barrel rest our gin and we wanted to do it in one of our used ones so we weren't kind of hitting it immediately ah. um, so we had the silver the we distilled that off put it into the barrel for two days hold that out put that into our Chardonnay barrel for two days And then at the same time that it was in the Chardonnay barrel, we put our gin into that used whiskey barrel. So they were both done and ready at the same time. And I don't even remember now which one we actually bottled first. But when we opened, we had this weird silver, you know, super young rye whiskey that no one knew what to do with. Had never seen anything like it before. And then we had this like whiskey sippers gin that also was like, you know, we couldn't be like, it's like a Bombay Sapphire. It's like this. It's like, no, it's more like a light floral botanical like. Right. You know, and we were just like, God, we just like did this all wrong. Like we didn't do our Coca-Cola first. We like did our weird off-brand like thing that comes out one summer and people remember slightly like the next two years. Yeah, right. But people liked them and they've continued to sell well. So we, we tripped into some level of success.
0: Well, that's part of the fun about craft, you know, this little craft operations that exist like yourself that yeah. you can, you can stumble upon happy accidents. I'm sure you've, you know, poured accidents on the drain that make you cry. Um, I've seen it happen. But, uh, but also like, you know, you experiment and you have fun, you learn something. Um, how much of that has been your job? Is it, is it the best part of the job too? Is it, you just, you know, you wake up one morning and say Chardonnay barrels. We're going to try that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like the best part for me. I yeah. love getting to try that. We actually have designed a new label that we're going to be able to fill in by hand. Um, so we'll be able to make even more happy accident stuff that we can actually sell to people. Sure. Cause a lot of times you make something and you're like, well, I can't, I can't <laughs> sell it to you. Legally, I'm not allowed to. We're not about to spend money on a thousand labels when we've only made six bottles of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if we're able to make something where we can fill in the pertinent information by hand and it still, you know, can pass the TTB, suddenly we could be like, we've made one case of this incredibly strange thing. I don't know. Come and get it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is a part of my job I love. Um, coming up with cocktails is another one. People... <sighs> There's a lot of things when you start a business like this that you don't think about. Sure. Um, The first one for me was like, oh, right, we have to pick a bottle. And then you you spend like way too long staring at bottles. You put them with like a a printer paper that you've made your logo on and you stick it to it. And then you put it on a shelf and you're just like, is that? Yeah, that that looks good. I think I'd pick that at a bar. I think this is the one. And then it's like, okay, we've got the bottle. Now we need the topper like, what do you mean we need the topper? It doesn't come with the topper. It's like, no, you got to pick if it's going to be a synthetic. Do you want it to have a logo on it? Do you have this? And it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. There's so many levels. Yeah. And so when we first started selling all of these bottles to people, the first thing they'd ask was, so what do you do with this? And it's like, well, you put it in a a glass and you drink it. It's like, (laughs) no, but like cocktail wise. And it's like, oh, I have no idea. That's a great question. Yeah. The gin, you can at least say gin and tonics are very popular. Right. The silver. You know, we were like, you can't really treat it too much like a whiskey because it doesn't have the barrel on it. It's not exactly a vodka because it's got the grain and the Chardonnay. So we had to start creating drinks just to be able to tell people what to do with them. Sure. You know, to hand out like a little recipe card and give them ideas. And then luckily, by the time we actually got our cocktail service license, we had like a stable of drinks that we were able to do. Gotcha. So we're not just here being like here's a you know cobalt and coke It's like here's a weird thing that I've called the rosy fingered dawn because I'm pretentious <laughs> <laughs> well, That's great. Yeah, I'm curious about that too
0: We don't have to go too much into the law But I know Maryland all these states around me are are Weird to me as a Wisconsinite because I have four bars around my high school and you can buy <laughs> a, you can buy liquor at a Walmart Of course yeah. um, It was it difficult Juggling those two things with your your distillery and now you're selling cocktails. Is that a, how does Maryland work with that?
1: It, so the service has to be primarily geared towards still selling a bottle. So we can't use anyone else's ah. alcohol, which even is like if we wanted to make you a, a martini, we couldn't use vermouth. Like vermouth is an alcohol, and we did not produce it, so like we we can't do that. So we have to find workarounds. So that's another fun aspect is like if we want people to be able to have a margarita, but we don't make a agave spirit yeah and we don't have like you know fontra or something what can we do to make that work like how do we adjust the proportions to make something that tastes like a margarita and 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 people will like and we did it for the silver and people like it so it works like things like that have actually had to make us more spry and interesting yeah than i think just like resting on our laurels and you know doing the stuff that everyone else has done
0: have you thought about maybe starting to make those things just out of for have, fun?
1: Yeah. yeah. um yeah. Just to try it. And then if we're not selling it to people, but we can still use it at the bar, yeah. the more is the better. Right. But um, it is one of those things where it's like, that's probably down the line as we're still like making other stuff. But I mean, people have asked us about that. We make our own simple syrups here. Oh. And people love them. And so they're like, you know, can I just get a jar of your tamarind simple syrup? Can I get a jar of your lavender or orange blossom honey simple syrup? And it's like. Legally, I don't think you can. Here's the recipe. <laughs> Go make it yourself, and uh, we'll look into that. Because yeah. that would be an incredibly fun space to start to occupy. No kidding. Yeah. So, so
0: what is your fo- number one focus right now? Is it whiskey? Is it... What? It's
1: definitely whiskey. whiskey. So for me, it's whiskey. I think Arthur is starting to come to the point because he... Um, his mother is is uh, Mexican, mm. and he, his family has land in Mexico. Oh, wow. And so one of the first things that kind of inspired him to want to make a distillery was um he wanted to build a distillery in mexico um because the their land is in the state of jalisco it's in a, a village that i will not even attempt to pronounce um because even though i'm a quarter mexican i was not raised with the language at all even a little bit <laughs> right um it's it's i'm not even gonna say it never mind so but he really wanted to make a distillery make tequila and he had this whole thing he wanted to name it after his grandmother and the the plan was kind of torpedoed and he's like, I can't move to Mexico. I have like a life here. I have a fiance here. So that's why we started this first is sort of a proof of concept. And hopefully it will help to fund whatever expansion we do. But he is very restless to make an agave spirit. So he's he's kind of started to focus on that. I'm looking at um, what other kinds of whiskeys we can make, especially under our we haven't really gotten into this, but we have two brands, basically. Yeah, we have our Schmidt Spirits distinctively finished brand. But then we also have our like Distillers Select Boutique, the Inkwell brand.
0: Okay. I was going to say, because behind you on the shelf, I, I I do. And I've seen online too. You have your Schmidt Spirit and you have your Inkwell. Yeah. Cool. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, w- are there any things that you would, like specifically want to do? What's on your mind? Are you trying to do like a single malt? Or do you? Oh, my do God. A- I would
1: love to do a single malt. Yeah. So <laughs> I actually, I got into a conversation with a local, because the Inkwell line, I'm trying to do everything that I can in Maryland. Mm. Um, we even looked for like. Is there a glass blower who could make us glasses? Like, yeah, but like, I'm not about to make people pay like $300 for a bottle of whiskey. So like glass. maybe down the road, we'll do like a limited release. Like if, if we make it to five years on the Inkwell side, like, you know, we'll have a crazy thing and people might want it. Yeah. Um, But I was trying to find someone who could malt me some barley using peat.
0: Ooh.
1: Um, Because I'm a monster and I love like Connemara and I like a really nice peated Irish whiskey. And I couldn't do it. Like, there's one peat bog in Maryland that I'm aware of. And it is owned by the Nature Conservancy, specifically to keep people from harvesting peat. And the guy also went from, like, a very small malt house to a very large one. Mm. And so he's like, I can't just, like, malt use 16 pounds with peat. This is like, I've got, like, a three-ton facility now. And I'm Mm. like, fine. Fine, we'll do something else. And then I'll just wait until I can, like, grow into it. Yeah. And there may come a point, you know, in in the future, like 20 years from now, when I'm fabulously wealthy and can do whatever I want, maybe I'll just be like, well, I couldn't get Maryland peat, but I did get the finest of Irish (laughs) peats. So I would I really want to do that. We just barreled an American or a a Maryland style rye. Okay, so that's exciting. Um, And then, yeah, just I'm looking forward to exploring more, learning more and then figuring out whatever the next crazy thing we're going to do is. Very cool. Very cool. Well, without a doubt, I'm
0: uh, I'm pretty excited to try your stuff. So, what should Thanks. we try first? So, the people
1: at home can't see this, but <laughs> we have in front of you a mat um, that has our six spirits laid out um, in a family's. So, we have our rye whiskey, our corn whiskey, and our gin, and we've actually put thought into this layout because we used to start people off with the gin, but gin is going to linger a while, right? So even though it was like, it's the clear one, <laughs> it affects everything else. So sure. we start with the rye whiskeys, we move to the corn whiskeys, and then we go to the gins. Okay. And you go light and dark each time. Okay. So the first is the silver. Um, the rye whiskey are both made with the same mash bill. So it's two-thirds rye, one-third wheat. Okay. And we get out of the Midwest uh, through Brie smalton Ingredients. And then the silver is two days in a new charred white oak American-made barrel. And then two days in a used Chardonnay cask.
0: Can I ask why the two days?
1: It, we we were sampling it, you know, because we wanted it to be mellowed a little bit. We didn't want it to be straight moonshine. Yeah. Um, it was actually a mistake at first because <laughs> we didn't also, we didn't really want a lot of color and we wanted a specific kind of flavor. And the first time we did it, and this is one of those things where it's like, oh, right, we were idiots who didn't know what we were doing. We didn't agitate the barrel at all before taking our samples Oh, and so we would get our whiskey thief and put it in. But we're only pulling from like maybe the first quarter of the barrel. Right. And we're like, it's not really aging at all. Like, what's happening here? And so we pulled it out after five days, uh, but all of the color and stuff was on the bottom mm. because that li- that liquid was now heavier. Um, so that was a mistake. It was a problem and it was a little too much. And so the next time we did it less time, aware of the fact that it would be aging and it would be homogenized in the, the mixing. Um, and so, two days is where we found like was the sweet spot for mellowing it without starting to affect the flavor at all. Okay. It really does happen that fast. It's crazy.
0: Wow. And there's, I mean, there's ever so slightly a little bit of tint, mm-hmm. but cheers. Yeah. And what's the proof on that?
1: That is uh, 80, proof, 80 proof, 40%. Oh, yeah.
0: That Chardonnay comes through pretty good. It does. <laughs>
1: after and that's two what, days. After only two days. And that was another reason for the Chardonnay to be two days is because we knew that we weren't getting a lot of the other barrels, so we didn't want to overwhelm. We didn't want it to be a Chardonnay-flavored whiskey. Right. We wanted to have just the finish, the hint of the Chardonnay. You can imagine all the lip
0: smacks I have to edit up.
1: <laughs> oh, Wow. That's very good. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 definitely the strangest thing we make, and it's interesting that that's the first thing we start people off with. Because yeah, because it, it really knocks them off their heels. Like they're not quite sure what to expect from that point out. Because I, I like I love rye, um,
0: and rye is definitely finally coming back to the market mm-hmm. since prohibition. Bourbon still owns the the land, but yeah. um,
1: like I said, you know the, the bourbon market is super. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I think you said it in an English accent. <laughs> um but I that that kind of throws my brain for a loop because I'm I like rye and that's not like a rye I've ever had. Exactly. So, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to get my my uh butt kicked again by the cobalt because this is finished in a uh, rum cask. Yes. For how long is it in rum?
1: It's so this this one it 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 changes. The the cobalt the first time we ever released it was 6 months old. Because okay. we just needed to get something out. Okay. You know, we were just, like people were anxious for it. We were in COVID <laughs> and we were just like, we need to release something. And we tasted it six months and we're like, it's obviously not there there, but it is a young whiskey and the flavors were good. So we put it into the rum barrel and then we just basically tasted it every day, um, shaking the barrel because we learned our, our lesson. Um, but then the next time we did it, it was an older aging, you know, it was like probably like nine months to 10 months. And then we'd already used that barrel once. Mm. So then we had to do the same thing, taste it every day, really wait until it got to where we felt the flavor was right. So depending on how many times we've used the rum barrel and how old the whiskey has gotten, it changes from from time to time. So one time it was in there for like a week and a half. This one is a three-year-old rye and it was only in the rum barrel for five days because it was a brand new rum barrel.
0: So it had a bunch of flavor in there. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I guess I'll move to that, right? Yeah. And this is still two thirds rye, one third wheat.
1: Yep. Same mash bill. Same
0: thing. Ooh, that's
1: already very different. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that's fun about us, I mean, we're, we're super small. We're in a, we're in an area that people don't expect a distillery to be, mm-hmm. uh, which is to say like, you know, suburbs of DC, but also behind a Costco by the railroad tracks. <laughs> um, so a lot of the people we get in have never been to a distillery before and may not even know much about the, uh, the art of distilling. I'm sorry. I hate it when I sound like I'm pretentious, even though I truly believe these things <laughs> like, um, so they'll come in and they'll say like, well, how do you make it clear? And it's like, oh, well, you know, actually, it all comes off the still clear. Like, it's the barrel that turns it dark, you know, This and so that's really cool when they're like, oh, this makes so much sense now. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: That's very good. That's very different. And that rum cast really rounds out that sweetness Mm -hmm. more than I would expect for just a, I mean, like you said, it was a new rum barrel. Some of my favorite scotches have been rum finished, and uh, I think they do like eight months or something.
1: Right. But we're, like I said, we're we're really trying, especially because three years even for that is like still pretty young. Yeah. But we don't want an overwhelming flavor of it. We really just want that like kiss. So like on the nose, it's got some of the rum sweetness. And on the finish, it's got some of the rum sweetness. It's almost like it almost
0: dilutes that rice spice perfectly. Because the rice spice is there and then it goes away.
1: Because Arthur and I, like, we always drank things neat, which is one of the reasons why when people were asking for cocktail recommendations, we were like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and so when we were creating this, our kind of guiding principle was it's it's a gin for people who don't like gin. It's a rye whiskey that can be drank neat by people who usually wouldn't drink a rye whiskey. Yeah. But we're not going to do it by dumping a bunch of sugar in it or making it taste like cough syrup. We're going to do it by very gently working with an actual normal, natural process. And it the, the, worked out well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> We pulled
1: it off. I know. I, I love it. I, I, know, I know rice, uh,
0: the rye grain can be a kind of a bear to work with too. Was that a learning process?
1: It probably was. But like at that point, everything was a learning process sure. for us. So what's funny is the other week I was talking to another uh, distillery owner in the area. And I was like, you know, oh yeah, I'm so excited because we're right about to make our, our Maryland style rye. And he said to me, oh man, don't make a rye. Rye grain is the worst to work with. It's so hard, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, does this guy not realize that the first thing we ever made was a rye? Like, this isn't our first rye. (laughs) He was like, yeah, no, the corn is so much easier. And I was like, when we started working with corn, that was a problem for us because we were used to working with rye. Yeah. So the corn was, uh, like, the rye was maybe the harder thing, but the thing is it's just different at the end of the day. And so if you're used to working with rye and suddenly you switch to corn, like we we had to adjust our temperatures, our agitation, and then even the way that we were using our mash pump, because the corn was we do have a grain in mash, um, so we're not sparging, we're not taking anything out, we leave it in there the whole time, and so after like the week of it sitting there, the corn had had congealed, it had cagaburized, con- <laughs> and we had to figure out a way to break it up. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think that's a good tee off to the corn whiskey. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the corn whiskeys we have right now are part of our Inkwell line, which when Arthur again pitched me this and he was like, I want to do finishes, I was like, that sounds so cool. I'm a very traditional brass tacks kind of guy. Like, would there ever be an opportunity for us to just not do a finish? Like, what (laughs) if I just want to make like a bourbon? Yeah. And so he said, like, you know, I want the brand Schmidt Spirits to be that extra step. But if we do well enough and we can afford it, total free reign to make your own brand, call it whatever you want, bottles however you want. And you can do whatever you want with it. It'll be like our little distiller select because, you know, obviously there's there's bound to be a a market segment. I just rolled my eyes because I hate saying things like that. There will be people who want that normal thing. You know, there are other boring T-shirt, you know, wearing black T-shirt and jeans guys out there, too. You know, so like, yeah, let's let's get them in on this. I'm wearing a black t-shirt and jeans right now. So I wasn't making fun of everyone except for myself. And to be clear, every time you say
0: something like uh, boutique-y, I see them. I see the monocle and top hat (laughs) come out. I'm kidding. They just glow ethereally.
1: (laughs) But so I I started noodling with the idea of Inkwell. It was a name that I'd always liked whenever I thought about making my own whiskey. Um, It was bandied about as going to be the name of the distillery and everything. But then I was like, you know, Schmidt Spirits. And it's like, not to get too deep into the financials and everything, but it's mostly his money. It's like almost all his money. And um, I was like, it just makes sense. It's Schmidt Spirits. You're Arthur Schmidt. It's your spirits. It's Schmidt spirits. It's It's alliterative. Yeah. Why would you not want to do this? And he didn't want to do it for the longest time. And then finally, after we like couldn't figure out a better name, he was like, let's just do Schmidt Spirits. That's fine. <laughs> but so I had Inkwell in my back pocket. And I'm a person who I've I've been an avid reader since I learned how to read. Uh, I've been an avid storyteller since before I knew how to read. Sure. Um, I used I was that kid who would just make stuff up, yeah. and like tell my parents that the birds in the sky were having like a conversation, and they were going to go down and fight the rabbits for some reason. Yeah. Um, and so for me, alcohol has always been hand in hand with storytelling. Yeah. Uh, between like Fitzgerald and Ernest <laughs> Hemingway. Yeah. And then also just like, if you meet friends for a drink, you're going to start telling stories. And then if you have enough to drink, you'll probably have a new story by the end of the night too sure so inkwell made a lot of sense for me i I love that and um i went with all maryland as much as i could um i i found the red corn for these initial corn whiskeys by going to a street fair as a vendor but there was another vendor across the street who was selling moonshine and he came over to try our stuff and i went over to try his stuff and i tried his moonshine and i was like first of all i need a jar of that second of all can i buy this corn from you and he said, "Oh yeah, absolutely. We like sell our corn all over the place." I was like, "Great, great. It's mine now. I <laughs> need this corn." Um, and so, yeah, it was it was really fun getting to like forge that relationship with the farmer. I I was telling people the other week like he also has beef cows that he feeds his mash his spent mash to. Sure. So I at the farmers market here in College Park near where I live, the farmer who sells meat there is like a neighbor of his and had brought some of his meat. And so I bought some from her, and my daughter and I made hamburgers, and I sent him a picture, and I was like, "This is weird. Is it weird to tell a guy that you're eating his cow and it's delicious?" But like, <laughs> yeah, like we're friends. Like, why not? I might as well tell him that. Like, but I was like, "This is cool, right?" Like, it's not a weird thing to be like, "Your cow is so tasty." <laughs> um, but yeah, so finding that, finding him was great, and then he was an entree to Ernst Grain and, and Livestock, who we get even more grains from now. Sure. Um, Everything in our Maryland rye has been Ernst Grain and Livestock. A different kind of bourbon that we're also going to be releasing next year is from them. Yeah. So it's it's great to kind of organically stumble into stuff like that. But so, yeah, these corn whiskeys are 5-6 Bloody Butcher Red Corn and then 1-6 the Soft Red Winter Wheat. Okay. And then, like I said, people come here, they don't understand. Why is it clear? Why is it? This is like the clearest distillation of what a barrel does to it because this unaged is the same mash bill as the bourbon, but the only difference is that one's been in a barrel and one hasn't been. Was there a calculus in releasing the White Dog? Because a lot of places- I love Moonshine. <laughs> okay, so same. So it was, a lot of this is just like, why'd you make this? Because I like it and I hope that other people do. But yeah, I mean, there was a part of my brain that was like, well, it's good to get something out there. I'm like, yeah, but if you're gonna kickstart, I mean, did we not learn with Silver that if you're gonna kickstart a brand, maybe you should do it with something super popular that people already know they like? But then I was like, no. Screw them! I like moonshine. I'm going to make a moonshine, and if they don't like it, they don't have to have it. People right. really seem to like it, so that was good for us.
0: Well, I think it, I mean it's a good way to market too that this is what this is what we put in the barrel. Yeah, because if you put something bad in a barrel, it will not get better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: it'll just get darker.
1: <laughs> but uh, right, the barrel doesn't cover up sins that well. It no, will often just augment them. Do you proof this down? We do, yeah. So it's not you know still strength. We bring it down to. This one, I believe, is 95. Okay. Oh, man, even the nose, I can tell that bloody butcher. Holy cow. People are always shocked because they do ask, like, if you put it in the barrel, like, you know, how how much of the grain flavor really comes out? And then they smell this and they're like, oh, okay, it's like cornbread. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) The face you're making. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're getting the video soon. <laughs> <clears throat> that is so different. Right? I don't know if it's just because of the Bloody Butcher, but I don't think I've had a primarily Bloody Butcher uh moonshine before. That might be what is 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 t- tricking my brain a little bit, but that is that is good.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so I mean if you I'm I, you know there's no reason for me to cover up from Pathfinder Farm and Distillery. Um, up around Keysville or Boonesboro mm-hmm. is where we get the corn from. Um, he's He did a 100% moonshine at 100 proof. And that's what I tried that made me buy his corn. So if you ever wanna try another one,
0: head yeah. up there,
1: see what his is like. I will say that we, we use a reflux column still, but we only use one plate when we're doing a whiskey distillation. Mm. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means, the more plates you put in, the higher the proof you're gonna pull off. But that means you're pulling out the impurities that are going to make the flavor. Mm. Right. So if you had like a whole bunch of things, you basically be making a vodka and you start taking those plates away and you get more and more of the flavor. So we only use one plate, which means it comes off and it's got a lot of the corn flavor in it. Yeah. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to use the word pungent and not, I don't mean it in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Usually use that for bad things. No, it, it's, it's
0: pungently, uh, corn sweet. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, that's really unique. That's cool.
1: And it, I mean it mixes incredibly well like yeah people people love it it's actually we we probably use more of it for cocktails here than we do for the sale of it which is weird because you think if people are drinking the cocktail they're gonna buy a bottle yeah but i think that people might be a little intimidated by it
0: yeah yeah i mean people usually think they, they think you know a, a white corn whiskey they think that's gonna be 140 proof yeah <laughs> so that's
1: one of the reasons we don't call it a moonshine is because it's only 95. right right um and then the other the one of them was like yeah, it was ninety-five. And so someone came up to me at a farmer's market and was like looking at it and he was like, So is this a moonshine? <laughs> and I said, No, it's not a moonshine. Like, you know, a moonshine, first of all, isn't a legal designation. So it doesn't have like a clear meaning, but generally it's understood to be you know, an unaged whiskey that's like at least 100, maybe probably 110 proof. And he said, okay, good. And I was like, were you like testing me? Are you like a cop? Like, what is this? <laughs> the undercover ATF yeah, agent. Yeah, <laughs> and he was just like a guy who's like dad made moonshine or something, and he wanted to make sure. And he also said that our bottle was too pretty for it to be moonshine. I was like, that's messed up. I was like, thank you, I guess. And he bought a bottle, so like that works for me. But it was kind of weird to be like purity tested as to whether or not it was a moonshine. <laughs> say the bottle I, I
0: immediately in my brain went to the referential image from like old Lo- Looney Tunes Acme the ceramic jug with the XXX. Yeah, exactly I'm he's sure like
1: look if you're gonna if you're gonna serve this it's gotta look like crap I'm sorry yeah. it, can't, it can't be in this like adorable bottle with the sticker on it yeah um, and a logo that was designed by a friend of mine who actually made the mural the chalk mural that's behind you oh wow okay I didn't even see yeah. that so oh, that's cool <laughs> We're, we're an incredibly DIY operation. So, like, all of our graphic designs, like, all of our labels are done by Arthur's uh, future sister in law. Okay. Who's incredibly talented. Um, my friend Brittany, who I've known since maybe high school? I don't know. Too long. Um, she came in and she did this chalk mural for us because she's an incredible artist. Sure. And then when I was doing the Inkwell logo, I kind of came to the realization that, like, why am I trying to look for someone who can do this when I already have an incredible artist? And so I reached out to her and I was like, hey, Brit, like, this is what I want to do. This is the vibe I wanted to have. Yeah. You know, can you do this for me? And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. And she sent it to me and it was beautiful. And I paid her. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but it was funny because she said, like, this is the first time I've ever done something like this. I don't know if this is something that people even do. Can you give me, like, a credit on the label? Oh, And I was like, yeah. She's like, really? I was like, I no, I don't think it's illegal. And like, I'm the guy who's in charge. So yeah, if you want your name on the label, if you're that proud of it, why would I say no? Right. So on the label, it says, it says, um, artwork by Brittany Herbenko.
0: Oh, look at that. That's cool.
1: Yeah. And I, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen something like that before. I'm sure, I think on like the prisoner wine they do, but like I think they've licensed an actual painting, so.
0: Yeah, I'm sure Snoop Dogg gets a lot of money from that. <laughs> that's cool, that's a neat, and the label itself is very is very sleek, very nice. I, I'm curious about the the blood spatter, is that a, I shouldn't say blood.
1: <laughs> it looks like blood when it's red like that. So, so like I said, Arthur's uh, future sister-in-law, uh, a talented graphic artist named Amy helps with our labels. And so she, at some point, I had said that I wanted on the top of the sticker, an ink spot Mm -hmm. thing, and she put it onto the label, too, because I told her, like, I want it to be like this elegant, minimalist thing. And she's like, it looks really good, but how do you feel about like this one little touch of the messiness? And I was like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. (laughs) So it's red for the white whiskey because it's clear and we needed a pop of color. Yep. It's black for the bourbon. I see. I just reached out to her because I woke up from like a dream state one day and was like, oh, for the Maryland style rye, it should be the colors of the Maryland flag. And I don't know if it's going to be like just individual droplets of all the colors or if it's going to be a swirl yeah but i texted her i was like okay this might sound terrible and if you look if you make it and it looks awful just don't even tell me just say we're not doing it (laughs) but like is this a thing you're interested in trying she said yeah that's really interesting so i'm excited to see how that turns out
0: very cool no that's
1: you're and he's right it's it's not
0: it doesn't come across as moonshine which you've accomplished so but man that's i've never i've never tried a weeded red corn white whiskey (laughs) that's so unique and it still sticks to my tongue I haven't. I, I've, I've been. I've had it down on the on the table for a while, so I'm really curious about the bourbon aspect. So this is the same mash bill, same but, mash bill, but now aged in a bottle. Or I'm sorry, a barrel.
1: <laughs> yes. So we do it in a smaller barrel because we're not making as much of it, right? So we only made the first time like uh, like 28 gallons, and so we weren't going to blow a 50 gallon barrel on that. So right. we got a 30 gallon barrel, but so we did have to be careful because we don't want to like over age it by keeping it in a smaller barrel. Sure. Um, so this is, at this point, I think a year and three months old. Okay. Oh, wow. And this is 90 proof.
0: Much more mellow on the nose. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. That's dangerous.
1: <laughs> and again, so the the, the inkwells because they're smaller batch, um, and it's not too much of a pain in the ass, um, you'll notice that the proofs are handwritten. Oh yeah. Because I proof them um, batch to batch, so every time we pull one out, I'm like, let me just experiment and make sure. So the first bourbon that we released was seven months old. It was actually pretty much this time last year. People were just like banging down the door for it, and I was like, all right, let's, let's pull it out, let's see how it tastes. And I was like, "We'll do like a limited ten case release, just to like get us through the holidays." Yeah. Um, and it was actually at eighty five proof. Um, and oddly, when it was older, I felt like it tasted better proofed up. So now mm. it's up to ninety. Okay.
0: How much of that was a learning a trial and error process with, with figuring out proofs and stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so. I mean, the whole <laughs> just the labeling aspect is actually a big trial and error because if. I'm taking down from the shelf a bottle of cobalt. You'll notice that there's a UPC sticker on the side of it because we foolishly did not put it anywhere on the actual label. Um, So that's a problem. Uh, That is the thing that we corrected with the inkwells and the Agua Hibisco and we will have to redesign these at some point because it is a real, like, uh, it's it's a time sink and it also just consistently reminds us of how much of an idiot we were that we didn't put that on the label to begin with. That's funny. Yeah. I, you know, so you don't, we don't think about it until you do it. <laughs> but so for the the Schmidt Spirits ones, we knew that 40 was probably going to be a good percentage for us um, because we were doing the finishes. We had a whole conversation. You know, we're like, we have to make the labels. Um, you know, are we going to, you know, test it? Are we going to just go on instinct? So we did like minor tests that were not perfect, but were close enough. Mm. And I kept saying like, look, if we're going to finish it we don't want the heat to be that high we want the finish to come through right with the inkwells the heat can be wherever the heat needs to be in order for the flavor to win out
0: okay that's cool yeah well that 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 bourbon is distinctively different than the corn the the white the unaged yeah um and that's wild that as a good side-by-side for people who aren't whiskey drinkers you can do a side-by-side and say this is a year in a barrel yeah that's the difference
1: and that's, yeah, and they're, they're, they're like, it really is just like, it's that. And I'm like, yep, we put it in a charred barrel and the wood and everything acts on it. And that's what happens. Yeah. Because they they'll like, people who know a lot about whiskey are going to hear me say this. And they might like think ill of the people who ask this. But like, you know, curiosity isn't a bad thing. But they'll say like, so what does the barrel really do? Mm. Which is fair. You know, you, you you don't really think about it that much. You think of it as a storage technique or something. Um, And also, even if you explain to people like, well, it affects the flavor. It's like, there's a difference between being told that and then having that clear illustration up front. Right. And so I like to think that between the level of intimate detail that Arthur and I are able to give when we do the tours, because it's literally just him and me. So if you're getting a tour here, it's from one of us. And so like, we always say like, if there's a question that you ask that we don't know the answer to, that's a problem (laughs) that we need to address. Right. Um, so when, when people leave here, I think that they probably have a a better, more intimate knowledge and appreciation for this stuff than if you go somewhere where there's just like a docent who's got, you know, a script that they read from. Right. Right. Well, that's cool. That's a, that's a very good showcase. And that, that's a, I mean,
0: I'd be curious if you have any bottle, a barrel squirreled away for just attempts at two to three to four to five year, just to see how it goes. But I'm sure you have stuff to put on the shelf too. So yeah,
1: we, I mean, we, we barrel on, or we bottle on demand. Yeah. So, that can so get we're tough. trying to create enough to give us that runway. Um, COVID helped a little bit with that for stuff like the cobalt, because there was like a good year and a half period where just like no one was buying anything from us right. because even though people were apparently drinking more, they didn't know we existed. We'd yeah. only been open a couple months. So we got to a year, like within a year, which was like hooray, but also very concerning. <laughs> we we're like, we need to sell more.
0: Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd be curious, what would more age on that bourbon do? That better be great.
1: Oh my God, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Well, If, if we ever, if, if, it, if it gets a little less popular <laughs> so we can finally get it up there. <laughs> Slow down for about five years. Yeah. No. People, could you just like not buy it for a while? Like I know that's a weird thing to say. But I mean, the more stuff we produce, the less stress there is on the existing line. So right. the hope is that when we release the Schmidt Spirits bourbon, which will be a yellow corn and barley that's going to be... Aged, but then finished in a reposado tequila barrel. Oh, that that will help to ease some of the pressure off of the the inkwell. Yeah, that's... where people will just buy two bottles and then. You know, <laughs> I mean, that works for us too. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> interesting. Tequila aged. Ooh. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Uh, all right, so gin. <laughs> gin, yes. Again, we're not gin people. Um, not <laughs> not a huge gin fan. So we wanted to make a gin. Arthur's whole pitch was like this uh, tone poem about it's a hot summer day. I just want to pour some gin on some ice and sip it and I was like yeah and like also like you know put some Sprite in it and some honey and just like like basically I don't like coffee so if I ever go on a coffee date and I get coffee I just like pour enough stuff in it that it's not technically coffee anymore and so that was my whole thing I was like that's the only way to make gin sippable like that but he had this idea and we really barreled into it we did a whole um, bathtub style like you know we got little baby food jars filled them with pure grain alcohol yeah threw some juniper berries in and then one other thing and then tried all of them mm. and we got a lot of great stuff there was also some terrible stuff um the, the jalapeno was not good uh there's something else that i can't even remember how bad it was um but we chose lavender and orange peel off of that <clears throat> we figured out the the proportions that we wanted and then we put it in that barrel like i said for about two days so floral botanical juniper is present you know it's not like we tried to cover it up right it's still there but we balanced it in a way that you know has appealed to a lot of people who generally don't like gin
0: and this is finishing rye cask yes have you tried doing a bourbon cask?
1: just to we haven't um we have at this point like two empty bourbon casks because the Inkwell bourbon is the only one. When we get one of the 50 gallons open, yeah. we might try some stuff like that with it. Play around. Yeah. Ooh, that's very different. That's not a gin on the nose at all. Yeah, the lavender and the orange peel really come through on the nose. Wow.
0: See, as a gin guy, I might love this. <laughs> not A non-gin guy, I should say. Yeah, the lavender is right there.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's not a pine cone, so I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, there was a girl who came in the other day with her mother, and she bought a bottle of this after telling me she hates gin. <laughs> but she was like, I found one I like, and I want to take it to my like uh, cousin over Thanksgiving just to be like, I finally found one. <laughs> oh, that's good.
0: Yeah, I could do that over ice. Mm-hmm. That's not bad at all. And that'd be great in a, in a cocktail.
1: Yeah. I mean, the gimlet is like perfect with it. Yeah. You know, the the lime juice sets off with the citrus that's already there and the orange peel and just a little bit of sugar to, you know, sweeten it up and everything. But the lavender is still in there doing its little coquettish dance. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) the visuals are good. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that that rye cask, even though it's just a couple days, there's a little bit of a a spice there that I'm picking up. Mm -hmm. That's unique. I'd be curious, too, if you were able, if you if you tried putting it in a rye cask or a bourbon cask for longer, because I've had I've had gins that are like their their barrel color on them.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's it's got a little it's got a little bit of a green color. You can yeah. kind of see from the barrel. Yeah. Um, Blue Dyer, who we, we spoke about earlier off mic. Um, I don't they don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, they did that. They would do like the deep aging and I liked their stuff. So it would be interesting as we're able to do more experiments to do something like that. So even taking uh, an inkwell bourbon cask and diverting a cut of, you know, 20 to 30 gallons from our, you know, general make into that and then being able to cut that and do a limited release of like, hey, here's a long bourbon aged gin. Yeah. As long as it's good because it's bad. But I guess even if it's bad, we got to try to sell it. Can't like write that off. Also, like, even if we don't like it, someone else might. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that's the, we've been lucky, because people say, like, oh, you gotta, like, you do all this work, and then it's, like, three years later, like, what if it's, what if it's terrible? I'm like, yeah, we haven't had to deal with that yet. Uh, If it happens, I, like, don't know, we have to, like, convene a focus group and see if, like, maybe we just don't like it. Right, right.
0: Well, I I have
1: no idea. I hope I never find out. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be, that'd be
0: tough. But, I know I think that, that gin has enough sweetness and citrus in it that it might be, that, that the sweetness from the the wood sugar would be a very very complimentary. I've had gins that are like candy
1: mm-hmm. and very viscous on the tongue.
0: Yeah. Um. Anything that takes away the juniper flavor for me is a win. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we had a we we had a gin that was all of our flavors plus cardamom, mm. and that was a bridge too far. Like that was an extra step, and the cardamom just it was like this such a delicate balance, and then the cardamom was just like a piece of wood that got thrown at the ankles of it. Yeah. And it all just collapsed. Right. So. I get nervous about the idea of putting other stuff in it, just because I'm like we've we've struck on the perfect thing, right. and I don't want to mess that up. Yeah. But again, as we do more things in smaller barrels and have a chance to to mess around with stuff, I, I definitely want to try at some point.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, then we
1: have this one, the uh, Hibisco. Yes. So this is made with the gin at bottle strength. So basically, if you were to crack open a bottle of our gin and then do the following to it, you would create the Agua hibisco. We sweeten it with agave syrup. Um, Arthur, in creating this, was trying to mimic or, you know, pay an homage to, um, jamica, which is an agua fresca that he had, um, growing up in Mexico with his grandmother. And it is made with hibiscus flowers. So he sweetened it with agave syrup and then just steeped whole hibiscus flowers in it. So it is a cordial. It has got some body to it and it will be sweet. Um, and people... I'm gonna just not speak while you try it. So we can get your... (laughs) (laughs) unalloyed <laughs> opinion oh wow yeah you say you said cordial that's a
0: cordial yep <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you while i want to taste it
1: no no it's okay you were taking the taste and i was like let's all be quiet and watch what he thinks. So, um but yeah so he he wanted to do that he added all this things. someone the other day asked um they looked at it and they said oh wow so this this color and the flavor are all natural and it's Another thing where like, my brain doesn't work in the marketing way well enough, because like, yeah, 100%, it's all natural. And my joke to them was, we're not smart enough to do it the fake way. <laughs> like, I'm not a food scientist. I don't know what would be a safe and effective way to create this flavor. So what we did was we made a giant tea bag full of 50 pounds of hibiscus flowers and then stuck it in the the drum that we had it in and hoped for the best. <laughs> well, that, it turned out, man, that that, that hibiscus is strong.
0: Yeah. But that's so good. How much, how much, uh, I guess I'll ask you this. How much is the proof? And then how much agave nectar are you actually putting in it?
1: Um, so it is, uh, 50 proof. Yes, it is 50 proof. Okay. Um, we put a lot of agave syrup in it. <laughs> it's, um, we put a, we, and we've, we, have we, we messed, this one was another one where we messed around with the recipe a lot. Cause we were like, what if we use less hibiscus, but we steep it longer? It was an interesting flavor. It was similar, but not the same. It was almost a little more complex and subtle, which you'd think would be good, but for a cordial, you kind of want that you know, pop. Mm-hmm. you know. And so the slow sneak up wasn't what we were looking for. Um, and same with the agave syrup. We adjusted the proportions. We, we did blind taste tests for people at the bar. We'd just be like, hey, you know, you've already had your samples. Would you like to help us out with product testing? and they all specifically chose that formulation, which was actually the first formulation he ever made. And I was like, dude, this is a hit, let's just make it. He's like, no, no, because he's an engineer. So he's like, no, we have to iterate. We have to get our data points. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, the creative, like, we got it, let's roll, like, just let's do it. the next thing. Yep. So it was a year of iterating just to do the exact first thing that he made. <laughs> and then, like, we sold out almost immediately. And I was like, man, we could have sold out almost immediately, like, a year ago. He's like, it was worth it. I was like, I know, I know, it's fine. Just so you don't have that, like, lingering, like, what, what if we did? Yeah, movies? what if we tried? Right. But so people are always like, you know, what do you do with it? Now we actually have answers to that. So, like, some people just pour it on ice, you know, a little bit of dilution, a little bit of chill. I tend to use it as a mixer, mm. um, takes the place of the simple syrup or, you know, you reduce the simple syrup, put that in, put a little simple syrup on top, but like almost everything we made this summer that was a cocktail, we'd be like, all right, that's, pr- that's pretty good. <laughs> what if we made it with hibiscus? It's like, oh, my God, it's so much better. <laughs> this is incredible. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's it's um, it's a real hit. <laughs> it, well, it's it's sticky sweet and cordial is the right
0: word, but that mm-hmm. is that is phenomenal.
1: And there's a reason it's the that. last one, because yeah. like, if you had that, nothing else would. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't I
0: wouldn't even taste the, the bourbon and just be like, oh, that's that bourbon has some hibiscus in it. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's very good. See, and that'd be interesting to do some. You could do some wild things. And I, I know you, you know, you got to play a small business game, right? You, have to, right? you have to sell stuff and you have to stay alive. But if you could at some point take the hibisco gin mm-hmm. and put it in a bourbon barrel and then age it or or and then after you're done with that bourbon barrel then it's got that hibisco and then put rye in that and make the rye aged in some just do some wild (laughs) wazoo
1: shit as we do more inkwells we will have more like 15 and 30 gallon barrels and i think that's when we get to kind of go nuts on stuff like that play yeah because even just like what if we made the hibisco but we did it with like a bourbon barrel aged gin that's been in there for like six months to a year like what would that be like
0: right right it's
1: just like i don't know we're dumping a bunch of sugar in it and then steeping a gorgeous, delicious flower, I'm sure it'll still be great. <laughs> well, that's part of the fun that, you know, why I'm talking to
0: people like you is that you have that freedom to play mm-hmm. and, you know, obviously you have to play the market and, and and sell your product, but you, you're able to wake up one morning and say, Hey, let's do this thing. Yeah. And, and, and that's really cool to hear. And it, obviously you probably have fantasies of, of things you want to do that down the road. I'm sure Arthur does as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious to see if there's anything that like, maybe you could, we could give a highlight to what's coming out next. That's the big thing that you're going to be proud of. That's our experiment, but we don't know what's going to do.
1: So we have a couple of those and I'll get to that. I will say there are things that we don't know that we'll ever do, um, sure. even though we're small and, you know, we're trying to make money and stuff. We've been like, we're not going to do a vodka It's just not appealing to us. And like, I've drank other people's vodkas and enjoyed them. But like, what do I have to add to the vodka space? Like, I'm going to make it taste more like nothing. Right. It's just not something that appeals to me. Um, We don't know enough about rum. Mm. Um, I would be interested to try to make like a rum. But there's a lot of people that are making really great rums. And in trying the rum, I'm like, well, I don't know how they did this i would have to spend a, like a couple years getting more acquainted with rum yeah um the things that we have coming up that we're actually excited for are we're going to have a super limited release of a cask strength port aged rye oh um so we we had a rye we aged it for 6 or 7 months and then we put it into a port barrel and i won't say we forgot about it but it's been in there for a while i think it just hit 3 years Uh, It's probably the oldest thing that we still have in the distillery Um, just because we like it it happened during COVID. And so we like didn't have bottles and we didn't have money and we didn't know what to do with the labeling. And so it just kept sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And so now we're finally with the like I said, the new label that we're getting going to be able to to do it. We're going to be able to pull it out, put it in this label, you know, portage rye, task strength. That sounds phenomenal. Yeah, so that's an exciting one. People are eager about that. I think the bourbon, um, which I think is tentatively going to be called Crimson, keeping mm. with the color scheme for the uh, Schmidt Spirits varieties. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be the yellow corn and barley that's going to be finished in our episode of Tequila Barrel. And then I'm super excited about the Maryland rye that we've got. Yeah. Um, those are the things that are actually extant, that like are in a barrel and ready to go <laughs> yeah. whenever like we decide to pull the trigger. Arthur's doing his agave spirit, which I have to assume will be great. I don't know. I'm not really a tequila person. um, So that'll be another test of like me as a master distiller, just being like, yeah, this is good, I guess. Like, you know, there's like I, I do movie reviews on the side, too. And every once in a while, I have to be like, this movie was not made for me. Right. But it was very good. Like, is this is a perfect example of what they were trying to do. Yeah. And I think if you're going to exist in this space and try to be a creator in it, you have to be able to do that. It's a little harder because there is a taste element to it. Right. But yeah, I'm looking forward to trying a bunch of tequilas and at least being able to identify what people would want in a tequila, much as we did with the gin. Right. And uh, and make it make it our own. Well, cheers to that. And the craft and the creativity that you bring to this as a, as a distiller, I think, is probably,
0: you know, more than 90% of the fun of your job. Oh, yeah. And I, and I envy that. <laughs> That's why I appreciate your your uh, your kinship and spirit tasting and, and letting me try some of your stuff.
1: No, no. I like my, I this weekend I was exhausted the whole time, but people cuz people just kept coming in. You know, <laughs> and as a business owner, you love that, but as a human being who slept like 4 hours and worked like for 12 the day before, you are like, "Can I just get 15 minutes?" <laughs> but it was so easy to keep pushing through because people would try something and they love it and then like you know they would have a story about the last time they drank something that was this good sure you'd make them a cocktail and they'd be like oh this cocktail is incredible like people are sitting at the bar who've never met one another and come from very different worlds um but they're talking like their best friends um we had a group of like young post-grad types um one of whom uh is from a chinese background and then we had uh indian immigrants who were much older but they were talking like he was their son like they were exchanging all this information and talking about all these shared experiences and i'm just sitting here and i'm like this is why i want to do this because and this is also again why i named it inkwell because like you come together over this stuff and the stories start flowing and you bear your soul to this stranger and then god knows like in in three months you might be like you know it was a great day is when i went to this place and i met these people and suddenly the telling of the story has become a story itself yeah i agree with that
0: and it, it's it's cool, you can you can operate and 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 create, you know, those memories and conversations between people. I and mean, that's part that's why I'm doing this. I'm showcasing what you do and it brings people together. Yeah, that's how I came upon my love for whiskey is around a campfire and a cigar. yeah. oh, wow. this is awesome. And I have seventeen different scotches that probably cost more than my mortgage. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. yeah. so well, cheers to what you're doing. and Thank uh, you. Schmidt spirits, this is a pretty cool spot to be. and I'm glad I found you guys. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad you did as well, because uh, we are slightly
1: difficult to find.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Not by choice. <laughs> and I'll be back. I'll drag my wife here. She's. She likes gin. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Please do. Yeah, but uh, thanks. I appreciate this, man, and uh, cheers to you. Thank you. for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews, the easier we are to find. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow us on social media so you never miss any of our updates. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and always be sure to drink responsibly. There are quite literally thousands of distilleries, so we're just getting started. Stay tuned for more conversations with master distillers, distillery owners, mixologists, and even bar owners, and more. Cheers.